Welcome to the Women Want Strong Men podcast. I'm your host, Amy Stuttle. I believe it takes a strong man to appreciate a strong woman, and I'm here to bring a unique perspective to empower both sexes. I love talking with health experts, thought leaders, influencers, and people who have insightful information to share with us about our health, our society, and our pursuit for success and prosperity. So hello and welcome to the podcast. This is my first podcast out in 2024. And we're going to talk about things today that are super relevant to these New Year's resolutions. We're all very aware that majority of New Year's resolutions are made around fitness and weight loss. So I want to focus today's podcast around helping people actually stick with and achieve their goals. There are also a lot of men that listen to this podcast that are just starting their hormone and fitness optimization journey. And our guest today, is going to help give some advice to those men as well. So on today's podcast, I have strength and conditioning specialist, Ryan Fanley. Ryan has coached, mentored, and consulted athletes in 21 different sports at the high school, collegiate, and professional sports level, with athlete success ranging from NCAA All-Americans to NFL Super Bowl champions. In addition to training athletes for sports performance, he has consulted with top-level physique competitors who have sought him out for fat loss and muscle building advice. He is known as a coach that does not compromise on his results. Long story short, people, this man knows his shit, and he is taking time out of his day to talk to you for free. So let's hear what he has to say. And thank you for being on the show, Ryan. Thank you so much for having me. You know, this is one of the things I really enjoy doing in my free time is just educating people and teaching people the right way because there is so much BS surrounding fitness and nutrition and training. And I hate seeing people get caught up into it. So any advice I can give that'll help somebody else, I'm here for it. Well, we appreciate you doing this. And just so the listeners know, he has a great Instagram page that I will tag in the show notes where he walks through exercises and nutrition tips that you can glean all of this information just while you're sitting there scrolling in your free time. So take advantage of it and you know he'll help you optimize your health. So let's just start with kind of where I started the podcast. Uh, we know that most people, a New Year's resolution is, you know, hitting the gym and let's get fit. But a couple months into that journey, people, you know, give up, quit. Why is that? What advice do you have to those people that cannot keep that goal? That's a great question. You know, it's interesting. The average American male gains five pounds every holiday season from Thanksgiving to New Year's, and then they lose two the following year. And so they end up three pounds heavier every year. And then 10 years later, they're like, why am I 30 pounds heavier? Why don't I have my college body? Why don't I have my my body that I had when I got married? And it's just those little things that creep up over time. They never actually lose the holiday weight. One of the biggest reasons is that people set goals and go way too hard out of the gate on their New Year's resolution. Motivation is high. They've eaten garbage. They feel like crap. They feel like you know a hot bag of shit after eating and drinking constantly from Thanksgiving giving to New Year's. So they get really, really motivated. And motivation and willpower is like a battery. It has a shelf life. It will always run out. And when it does, you will default back to your previous habits. And so that's what happened. People start with a plan that requires crazy high degrees of motivation. And they can do that for two or three weeks, sometimes even six weeks. But then once that willpower battery and that motivation battery run out, they are back to the drawing board and they kind of give up. So one of the best pieces of advice that I can give is to start with small, manageable chunks. Don't look at it as, I'm going to do this for 12 weeks and then lose all the fat and then be done. You can't look at it as a 
eight-week plan, a 12-week plan. This should be a lifestyle change. This should be a, a way of integrating habits into your life that will stick with you. And so that's why it can't be anything so crazy. People start with like water fasting and carnivore <laughs> diet. I'm only going to, you're really only going to eat meat the rest. A juice cleanse. <laughs> juice cleanse. You're really telling me you're going to do that the rest of your life? Like get out of here. And so where I tend to start people I like a habits-based approach and I like an inclusion approach. So a lot of times coaches will say no carbs or no treats or sugars or no alcohol. That's an exclusion mindset. I much prefer an inclusion mindset. So what I'll do is I'll say, okay, I want you to include one gram of protein per pound of body weight per day. And that'll be like one of the first habits we work on. And they're like, well, so like no carbs, right? I'm like, no, you can have carbs. That's fine. Like just work on that one habit. So then we build protein and they get to a point, after, you know, it takes – between 20 to 33 days for something you do daily to become a habit, sometimes a little longer, so one to two months, let's say. Once they're good at nailing that protein target, then we work on a vegetable target. All right, cool. Protein's easy. Now we're going to work on getting four to six cups of veggies per day, cruciferous veggies per day. And then we do that and we build that habit. And then it's like, okay, now we're going to set a water goal. These are all debatable which order you go in. Some, you know, water, some people you can start first, but th these are the, the core three. And what we find when people are drinking the correct amount of fluids, they're getting enough protein, and they're getting four to six servings of veggies per day, they will naturally, without doing anything else, they will naturally lose body fat. They will naturally reduce their cravings. They'll naturally sleep better. They'll naturally have better gym sessions. And so these clients are going, man, this, this is awesome. Like my coach is, I've lost five pounds and he hasn't even taken away my cookies yet. You know what I mean? So now eventually down the road, we have to get a little more aggressive and a little more strict, but like you can go a long way with just some basic habits. So my best advice, just to make this question a little shorter, take one habit that will positively promote your health and commit to doing it every day and make it something that's doable, something that doesn't completely overhaul your lifestyle. And a daily protein target is a good place to start. Yeah, I think that's great advice. And like you said, building this in increments where it becomes a lifestyle, because the reality is it has to become a lifestyle. This is not a 12-week thing. For longevity, you need to be eating right and working out regularly to have the best optimal life as you, as you age. We have to have muscle mass. So let's expand upon the protein that you just mentioned, because this is a big one. And like I mentioned to you before we started the podcast with semaglutide, Ozempic exploding in the marketplace, this is a big one that we see probably more so women than men, but it's still an issue. Men, they are not taking in enough protein. And it is imperative that you do not lose muscle mass as you age. So let's jump into what type of protein sources you're using, how much, when, where, how, what you're in conjunction with all of it. So protein serves over 300 plus functions in the body, one of them being to build and retain lean muscle mass, which is critically, critically important. A lot of people, and I know this podcast is mostly for males, but for females too, it's so important because every decade after the age of 30, you begin to lose muscle mass unless you do something about it. So when we see these sweet little 90-year-old ladies with walkers or 90-year-old men with walkers and canes and wheelchairs, it's not because they're old. It's not that that age automatically you lose your ability. It's just that they've lost so much muscle mass that they can't support themselves anymore. So it becomes critically important for life. So when we talk about protein, there's a range of protein. There's different formulas, but a good starting point is one gram of protein per pound of body weight per day or per pound of desired body weight. So if you're obese, let's say you weigh 450 pounds, I'm not asking you to try to eat 450 grams of protein. You want to make it based on your ideal body weight. The research is pretty clear that for optimizing lean muscle mass, you want to have at least 
four protein-rich feedings per day. Those protein-rich feedings, those meals need to be spaced at least three hours apart. And each meal needs to meet a threshold for muscle protein synthesis with the amino acid leucine. Now, if you're eating animal protein, so anything, you know, dairy products, you know, steak, chicken, fish, any, any of those animal proteins, you're going to get that leucine threshold with about 30 grams of protein. The reason that's important, leucine is the amino acid that flips the light switch for muscle protein synthesis. So if we really want to make sure we're building and retaining lean muscle, we want to flip that switch. For small females and small males alike, this is a huge problem. A lot of people will kind of graze on protein throughout the day and they never get enough in that one serving to flip the switch. So they're never actually optimizing their lean body mass. So, you know, when we look at that, you know, it could be something as simple, you know, 30 grams of animal protein. We're talking like four ounces of, you know, four to six ounces of lean meat would fit the bill there. A scoop of whey protein isolate, just one scoop of whey protein isolate would fit the bill there. Greek yogurt and things like that play a part there. Where we get into trouble is plant-based diets. So plant-based proteins. It's not that they're bad. It's just that in order to meet the leucine threshold with pea protein, for example, you need 60 grams of pea protein just to flip that light switch. And I don't know, if Amy, if you've ever had pea protein, but it's like a 60 grams of pea protein would have me on the toilet the entire day. Yes. <laughs> like, <laughs> so for the vegans and vegetarians, they have to be really, really mindful of ensuring that leucine is present. At least three and a half grams of leucine per feeding. So three and a half grams of leucine four times per day at least three hours spread apart. That's going to be the recipe. Have you ever trained or worked with a vegetarian client where you've had to work around just, you know, plant-based protein? Yes, I have. And it's a royal pain in the ass. I'll <laughs> do it, but it's very, very challenging. What typically ends up happening is I'll have them, especially for fat loss, because for fat loss, to eat enough protein from plant-based foods, you tend to have to eat so many carbohydrates that it's kind of hard to get in that calorie deficit. What I tend to do with those clients is I will supplement with raw amino acid like leucine powder with their meals. And that tends to help quite a bit. So give me some examples of the lean protein you're eating throughout your day. So mornings is typically going to be an omelet with, I'll use a couple whole eggs and then some egg whites to hit that. Sometimes I'll have a lean filet. I'll have a six ounce like beef filet for breakfast with one or two eggs. And that's awesome. A couple hours later, I may train and then have like a whey protein shake after training. A couple hours after that, I'll do some baked cod or some shrimp. And then later on that evening, some other source of animal protein or occasionally at night, if I have like a sweet tooth, I'll take like Greek yogurt and mix in some like raw cocoa powder and just some vanilla extract and stuff to make it kind of like a treat. It's almost like ice cream. Um, and those Ninja Creamy blenders, I mean, I'm not affiliated in any way with Ninja, but they have these creamy things that make like you can make protein ice cream with them and they're freaking delicious. I've been like a mad scientist in my kitchen with those things <laughs> lately. Like my kids love them too. Like my kids, that's one way that I get my kids to crush protein is like at nighttime, we'll have a little Ninja creamy, like ice cream protein deal and they love it. Oh, that's cute. That's a good way to get them engaged. How old are your children? My kids are nine and five and they, from a very young age, have always had a lot of protein in their diet. My son at 18 months, was eating six whole scrambled eggs for breakfast every morning. Oh, my God. It was crazy. Like, he started as a – when he first started having solid foods, I would give him, like, one or two eggs. And there was one morning, I'll never forget it, 
I made him his two eggs and he's standing there and he starts smacking the table. Dada, mo eggies, mo eggies. And I'm like, all right. So I make another one and he eats that and he start, he's getting angrier. They're like he's getting mad. It's <laughs> just smacking the table. <laughs> mo eggies, mo eggies. And he ate six that day. And then from that day until about for the next year, he would eat six whole scrambled eggs every morning. And you were probably such a proud dad. I was, I was. And it's <laughs> interesting, like, my son is jacked. Like people look I was at him. Say, is he a beast? He is an absolute beast. I mean, at five years old, he can do eleven dead hang pull ups. He's got a clearly defined six pack, and that's not me being vain trying to like train him. It's just he follows me in the gym. He does what I do. He wants to be like daddy, and and so we eat like daddy. We work out like daddy, and it's just like, and that's just how he is. And he's an absolute monster. People are like, oh, okay, so you got like a seven or eight year old son? I'm like, no, he's just five. <laughs> like, he's, <laughs> So my husband and I work out basically every day and we have a home gym set up. And so our son is just turned 12. So he likes to get in there. And, you know, of course, he doesn't necessarily have appropriate form and stuff like that. We're working through that. But after every set, he checks his abs. He's like, now can we see the abs now? I'm like, uh, that's not how this game works. Like, after, but after every single set, we're checking the abs. It's pretty funny. So, you know, back to the diet, what are the most common mistakes you see your clients making or maybe new clients coming to you where they think they're doing a great job and you're like, nah, that's not right. People seem to black out Thursday through Sunday and they only, when they're reporting to me, they only remember Monday through Thursday. Like, oh yeah, I had a good week of eating last week. It's like, okay, talk me through it. And like, they tell me Monday through Thursday. And it's like, okay, yeah, that's great. And then I'm like, what'd you have Thursday? Well, we had a happy hour on Thursday night. And well, we went out for drinks on Friday night. Well, we went to a big brunch on Saturday. It's like, so inconsistency with diet is one of the first ones. People, the weekends still count. Everything does count. You can have a great week in calorie deficit and you can out eat your entire deficit for the week with a fancy coffee and a donut on a Sunday morning. And so being mindful and consistent through the whole week is one. Another area is what I call BLTs, bites, licks, and tastes. That is finishing a couple bites of your kids' chicken nuggets when they don't finish theirs. That is baking a cake for someone else and licking the spoon. You, you may not have eaten a slice of the cake, but you lick the spoon and having a sip of this, a taste of that. You would be amazed when you actually start to pay attention to this, how much of those creep in your day. And that can easily be 300 calories a day, which if you're aiming for a modest deficit, you're erasing your deficit with those bites, licks, and tastes. And so a lot of people think they have like a metabolism problem. Oh, I've got a slow metabolism. I've got this. And it's like, no, you really don't. When we look at human studies, at metabolic ward studies, where they take research patients and they put them in what they call a metabolic ward where the researchers are in control of calorie intake, like the patients don't get any, they don't have any opportunity to have food outside of what's given to them. In all those studies, patients always lose weight because it's actually controlled and they're actually eating, you know, what they have set out to eat. When we, as humans, we justify, we're bad at measuring. You want a real slap in the face about reality? Weigh your next tablespoon of peanut butter. Take what you think is a serving of peanut butter and then weigh that on a scale and you'll see that that's probably actually three servings of peanut butter when we look at a calorie standpoint. So we're just really bad at understanding how much we are actually eating and then we are not mindful of the foods we're eating and we're not consistent enough. Those are a lot of the reasons. So let's talk about the calorie deficit. You wrote something on your Instagram that I have here. It says, if you're not dropping weight, you're not in a calorie deficit, period. So let's, uh, you know, elaborate. You touched on it just briefly here, but elaborate what that means to a client. So 
Every day we eat calories, that's calories in, that's fuel for the machine, and we also burn calories. You burn calories just by being alive, so to digest food, to make hormones, you know, to move, all those things require you to have caloric energy. At the end of each day, or at the end of each period of time, you can only be in one of three possible states. You're either in an anabolic state or a calorie surplus, and that is where you have eaten more than you have burned, and you will see an increase in your body weight. You could be at caloric maintenance or a homeostatic state, and that is where what you're eating and what you're putting out are roughly the same and your body weight stays the same. Or you could be in a catabolic state or a calorie deficit, and that is where you are burning more than you're taking in and you actually lose weight on the scale. The hard part about this is a lot of people will step on the scale one day per week and try to make a snap judgment based on that. No one day, there's so many things that impact that one day scale reading. If you had a lot of sodium yesterday, you could be holding water and you might be three or four pounds heavier today and be like, oh crap, my, my calorie deficit is not working. If you didn't take a poop yet this morning, you know, like it, you, you could be heavier. And so what I tend to have clients do is I'll have clients weigh every day. So make it a habit. You wake up in the morning, you use the restroom, you don't eat or drink anything, you hop on the scale. At the end of each week, you add up those numbers and divide by seven or divide however many days you weighed. And that's your average body weight for the week. And I look at trends in average weekly body weight. And that's how you'll know whether you're in a deficit or not. If your average weekly body weight is going down over time, you're in a deficit. If it's going up over time, you're in a surplus. And if it's roughly stable, then you're at maintenance. This could be a hot take because people have strong opinions on this, but weightlifting versus cardio, what are you recommending and how are you interplaying the two? Hot take. Okay. So it's not an either or. I think they're both important. Cardiovascular work, specifically like zone two cardio work, where it's conversational pace, a pace where you could breathe through your nose the whole time, is going to have tremendous health benefits. It's also going to accelerate your recovery from weight training. Weight training is going to build muscle mass. It's going to increase bone density. It's going to actually increase your metabolism at rest. So that's a big one. People that have a lot of muscle burn a ton of calories just at rest and they have high metabolisms. Personally, I'm 250 pounds and I can eat, you know, around 4,000 calories per day without exercising and my body weight will stay stable. If I actually want to gain weight, I need to be eating five, 6,000 calories a day. And a lot of that's just because of the amount of muscle mass I have. So I have a lot of nutritional liberty. So that's, you know, the benefit you want to sell people on weight training because it gives you that nutritional liberty to be able to eat more foods and then be able to eat things that you enjoy a little bit more and work them in. But what I typically recommend, weight training three times per week is going to be the top priority. That's where I want to, we want to start there. Outside of that, I do recommend around 70,000 steps per week. So an average of 10,000 steps per day as just an activity goal. Above and beyond that, then we can start getting into more things like interval training or adding more weight training. But as a good baseline, if someone is strapped for time, three lifting workouts per week and then you know a weekly step count average is going to be the best place to start. And if you do those things, you've got enough cardiovascular activity to improve your health and improve your blood flow and recovery. You've got enough weight training to build lean muscle, build bone density, build capability. And if you eat well with that setup, you're going to look great naked. That's just the truth. You don't need more than that. Okay. You can do more than that. If you love the gym, if you have specific fitness goals, if you want to compete in something, but truly to get in great shape, look good naked, three lifts a week, 
70,000 steps per week and great nutrition plan. So the 10,000 steps a day, you know, for people that work in the office, more than likely you're getting on a treadmill or walking around the subdivision or whatever to get to those 10,000 steps. Cause it's pitiful. If you have a desk job, if you look at your steps, you know, you, you know, I know there's days I, I get up, leave here, this place. And I'm like, I only got 4,000 steps in all day. Oh my gosh. So I have to go walk a few miles, you know, to get those 10,000 steps in. It's also just mindfulness. I mean, there's some times where you may like taking a work call. You could take a phone call. If it's not a video call, you could take it while you're walking around. You can also, you don't have to go outside. I have a client that I work with and it basically he doesn't have an opportunity to get outside. It's awful where he is a lot of times. And he just walks in his living room, just walks around his living room and People asked him, like, how'd you lose so much? He's lost over 100 pounds already. How'd you lose so much weight? And he's like, basically walking in circles in small spaces. Like, <laughs> it's really what it is. But when you're mindful of it, it's totally doable. And I hear you on the office job thing. But if you put it in the forefront of your brain as something, as a requirement for your day, it's actually not as hard as it sounds. Well, I have the, I wear the aura tracking ring, but it holds you accountable. I got to tell you, I mean, I look at it and I'm like, I didn't get there today, you know? So what am I going to do? What am I going to do to get there? And I stand up a lot and do these random like squats and these arm things. I have these little bands and weights just to make sure all day that I'm moving and doing something where you're not. Even in the gym, you do a set of your squats. A lot of people will go and sit down or they'll lean against something. Just walk, just nice, easy, casual walking in your three minutes rest. You'd be amazed how many steps you can get within your workout just from not completely sitting and and going full rest between sets. And then you mentioned lifting three days a week. How long is somebody lifting for? Honestly, you can get it done in 45 minutes. I typically don't like to go more than like an hour and 15. Beyond that point, your catabolic hormones tend to rise, your anabolic hormones tend to tank. And so it's kind of counterproductive. And I'm going to argue, unless you are a power lifter where you're taking 10 minutes rest between sets of 800 pound squats, you don't need more than an hour to train. If you're taking that long, you're making friends, you're not training. If somebody is working at an at-home gym, are there a few different pieces of equipment that you recommend that they purchase? Absolutely. So the essentials, in my opinion, bare bones minimum would be an adjustable bench and some adjustable dumbbells. That would be like one of the, you know, bare bones things. If you can add a barbell and like even a, they make squat racks that fold up that don't take up a lot of space. I mean, some type of rack setup would be great if you have the space, but bare minimum would be an adjustable bench with dumbbells. With that setup, you can train upper and lower body really well. The hardest thing about at-home workouts for strong people is doing leg workouts when you, you know, if you just have like a 20-pound kettlebell or something like that. So that's why the adjustable dumbbells, you know, they make them now in single sets that can go up to 120-pound dumbbells. If you have that, you can still train your legs very, very well. And you can get a complete workout with an adjustable bench and, and just some dumbbells. You know, there's other things, you know, a TR. RX is a great investment. Things like the little hamstring curl sliders are great. An exercise ball, a Swiss ball is great. There's all kinds of little add-on things that you can do, but I think the bare bones minimum is a good quality bench and dumbbells. Do you like your clients to go to the point of failure where you're you're lifting super heavy? Maybe you only get two reps in. Yes. So failure is, the research is very, very clear that to optimize lean muscle mass or not, which means, so optimizing lean muscle mass is optimizing body composition. So to optimize your body composition, you want to be close to failure within five repetitions of failure. The closer to failure you go, the fewer sets you will be able to recover from. So if you do go all the way to failure, 
you can just do one to two sets of that exercise and that's enough of a stimulus for the day. If you stay four or five reps away from failure, then you're going to need to do more work sets in order to create a stimulus. But what's important is making progress over time. That's a huge one. People don't track their training. They just go in and work out, do a workout and, and it feels good and they get a pump or a burn and they leave. What's important is if you did the 30 pound dumbbells for 10 reps this week is that next week you do the 30 pound dumbbells for 11 reps or the 35 pound dumbbells for 10 reps. You have to have some form of progress in order to stimulate the body to make an adaptation. Otherwise, if you do the same thing, you know, all building muscle is, is an adaptation. You do an exercise and the body goes, oh my gosh, we weren't ready for that. We've got to be prepared for that next time. Let's add some more muscle so that we can handle that load. If you keep the same weight and the same reps and the same exercise all the time, you'll stay the same. You have to provide some form of progress. Now, the good news is, and I can already hear the arguments from the over 40 crowd, well, I can't lift heavy anymore because it hurts. The research is very clear that you can grow sets of 30 reps to failure are as effective as heavy sets of six reps to failure. So if you are banged up and you can't clang and bang the super heavy weights that you used to, do your sets in the 20 to 30 repetition range to failure and make progress there. Improve there. Like for myself anymore, I've had five shoulder surgeries, a lot of sport issues. I don't do super heavy bench presses anymore. My bench press, I'm still getting stronger. I'm still breaking records, but now my records are in the 20 to 30 rep max range, not the one to six rep max range. I would say working out at home for me, the biggest frustration is being having heavy enough weights for the legs. I mean, that's definitely the hardest one, I don't have the equipment set up right to achieve that. So that's where a barbell or actually two for leg work, an open ended trap bar, you know, the trap bars that you stand in, they have some made Chris stuff and Kabuki strength makes an one where the back end is open. So you can use it for like lunges and stuff and Bulgarian split squats. It's an amazing piece. Like, so that's another, be another great one to have. If you can't get a squat rack, get an open ended trap bar, and then you can Bulgarian split squat as much weight as you could load on a bar, which I think that bar you can probably load over 800 pounds. I don't see anybody doing any single leg work with that. That's a good tip. So obviously we have men's health clinics here. So I want to talk about a guy coming in, starting on hormones, starting his health optimization. It's a little overwhelming at times. He might have a lot of weight to lose. He's got inflammation. He's now starting a new regimen. He needs to get in the gym. You see these patients as well, or these guys as well as clients. So what's your advice to those men that are just now jumping into this journey? My advice is, A, to get paired up with a good physician that can that is open and willing to look into hormonal optimization. Testosterone used to be this black sheep. It still kind of is among mainstream medicine. I mean, you know, most GPs won't touch it. You talk to them about testosterone and they look at you like you're, you just asked them for heroin. You know what I mean? Like, it's like, it's, oh, no, no, no. But there's so many myths surrounding it. But truly, low testosterone is a health risk. It puts you at higher risk for diabetes. It puts you at higher risk for heart disease. It puts you at higher risk for cancer. So I think that um, you need to find a physician who is open to hormonal optimization. You need to get blood labs done. So always follow the blood labs. We want to make sure you're not just doing it willy-nilly and kind of flying by the seat of your pants, right? A lot of people will do that. And then follow the advice of a good physician. I think it's, I've seen nothing but a net positive with people that go on hormone replacement therapy under a qualified physician. I have yet to see someone go on it with a good physician, with good protocols and say, ah, this isn't working for me or ah, I feel worse or all oh, these other health issues popped up. It exponentially improves all areas of life. 
We're talking about men whose wives are wondering if they love them anymore because their libido is so low. They have no sex drive. And these poor women are going, my husband doesn't want to sleep with me. Am I not pretty enough? Am I not doing the right things? Am I not emotional? And it's like, no, he's just got low testosterone. He's got the testosterone of a field mouse. And when you raise that to where it should be, all of a sudden now they're, con- you know, husband and wife are connecting again and their relationships improved and he's got more energy to do things. Like that's another one you hear a lot from, from the wives. It's funny. I coach a lot of couples. I will either have a husband and we get results with him and then he brings his wife on to work with me or the opposite where I'll start with the wife. I'll work with her for a little bit and then she'll be like, Hey, do you think you could help my husband out? And what's interesting is the one in many cases where I've started and I've had the wife first, She'll get him to work with me and she'll, and after a while, when we get things in order, she'll be like, oh my gosh, like he wasn't like helping in with chores around the house. I had to do everything. All he wanted to do was sit on the couch. And then now it's like, he's pitching in again. We're having sex again. We're connecting again. And it's all because low T is basically depression. You know what I mean? Like it's manifest itself as clinical depression, no energy, no drive for life, no motivation to do anything. And so it can truly be life changing when it's done correctly. And I've never seen it go poorly when it's done in a proper clinic setting. Do you see a big difference in the amount of muscle mass men are able to put on? Oh, gosh, yes. It's like the gym works for the first time. You know what I mean? Like a lot of guys that are stuck, they can't get results. And they are putting in effort, they're trying. When they get their hormones in check, all of a sudden they're like, okay, it's working now. And you see, it's a pretty magical window. I call it fairy unicorn window, where there's probably a six, 12 month period when someone starts hormone optimization when they've been low, where they're actively, they're building muscle and they're losing fat at the same time. And it's just this dramatic change. Typically, for people that are trained, you have to separate the muscle gain phase from the fat loss phase. Typically, you know, for me, for example, I've been training my entire life. If I wanted to gain significant amounts of muscle, I would have to spend a long time in a calorie surplus and not worry so much about body fat levels. And then when it was time to get lean again, I would have to enter a dedicated like calorie deficit to try to get leaner. And I wouldn't be really building any muscle during that time. But when people first start hormone replacement, you get both. You get it all at the same time and it's freaking magical and people love it. You know, it's cool to see. I can't believe how many guys we see come in that haven't changed their lifestyle yet besides starting on testosterone and seeing their muscle mass go up just with their day-to-day activities. I'm like that their body was their muscles are like, oh thank you. Yes, thank you, Jesus. And then (laughs) and then what's interesting is then the motivation sets in they actually want to eat. I know. Because they're like, wow, if I'm seeing these changes while still eating like a fat slob, what would happen if I actually ate correctly? I mean you see mental changes in these guys because low testosterone affects the brain. I mean it's a dopamine thing. It's a sympathetic nervous system thing. These guys have no fight or flight in them. They're just all like little sad balls of putsy, just a mess before when they have low T and then all of a sudden it brings their masculinity back. They become a man again, you know? So besides optimizing hormones, are there two or three supplements that you're like, oh, for sure you need to be on these or I recommend these uh, to help on this 
journey? Yeah. So supplements is a tricky one. I tend to go off of blood work for when I recommend supplements. I'll tend to look at labs and say, okay, you need this, this, and this. You know, some basic ones, vitamin D3 and K2, those are critical for anybody. Fish oil is going to be critical for anybody. But beyond that, some heavy hitters for just health and, and even just body composition, berberine and citrus bergamot are two really good ones. And they work really well in conjunction with one another. What they do is they help manage your blood sugar. If you manage your blood sugar, you're going to deliver more fuel to muscle cells and organs, and you're going to deliver less fuel to fat cells. And that's a big problem with a lot of people who are trying to change is when they eat, the food goes to the wrong place. All their carbs go to fat cells. And so getting blood sugar managed properly, berberine and bergamot are really good for that. They're also very good for optimizing the cholesterol profile. So citrus bergamot is a heavy hitter for boosting HDL, which is your good cholesterol. And so oftentimes people will show up like, oh, my doctor says my cholesterol panel's fucked. And you look at it, and it's actually not that bad. It's just the LDL to HDL ratio is off because their HDL is so low. You give them some bergamot three months later, and all of a sudden their cholesterol profile is beautiful again. So those two are big for me for body composition purposes as well as just general health. And then, you know, for performance, creatine monohydrate is one of the most researched studies. And then citrulline malate is another one from a blood flow standpoint. Um, you're going to get better pumps in the gym. You're going to get better erections in the, in the bedroom. It's just you know, good heart health, just a good vasodilator to help blood flow. There's a new product that we recently started carrying by the company Pendulum that has, it has a glucose control, but it has a strain of bacteria in it called Ackermansia. And we just got back from Las Vegas, the A4M conference, and they talked a lot about this and, and how it works in conjunction uh, with all these things that you're talking about. And we're really excited about how it converts the berberine and stuff like that. So it's a, it's a brand new product by Pendulum that we just started carrying for our guys. So let's talk a little bit about your online coaching and the difference between an online coach versus somebody that you would actually see in person. So how does this process work? Sure. So first of all, I'll say online coaching tends to work best for people that already know their way around a gym. It's very, very hard to teach exercises remotely. It's That's much better to do in person where I can get my hands on you. I can see every rep. I can correct every rep, make tweaks, adjust the weight. Online coaching is great for people that they know exercises, they understand the way around the gym, but they don't know how to program for themselves. They don't know how to manage nutrition. They don't have accountability. The accountability piece is a huge part of online coaching because when clients know they have to report to me, when they know that I see whether they entered their weights or not in the workout, it changes that fuck it thing that we all have in our brains when it's like, oh, should I go to the gym today? Ah, fuck it. It changes that when you know you're reporting to a coach. The other thing is I can see problems before they become a bigger issue. So if I'm looking at a client's training weights and I see that for two workouts in a row, they're not performing as well as they should, I can make the call then, hey, you need a rest day or we need to take a deload week. Otherwise, if clients are left to their own devices, especially the hard, like the, the ones that like to push, you're looking at a potential injury. So what kind of like intake form do they fill out prior or how, how do you like glean the information or what are you all looking at? So I have, there'll be an intake form that goes over everything, training history, nutrition history, injury history, medical history. And then I like to get on a Zoom with someone to actually kind of talk face to face. I want to connect with them and understand what their motivations are, what their goals are, what they're willing to do. A lot of people, and I don't take every Everybody. That's a misconception with online coaching. People think if they sign up, they're going to be a client. There's a 
lot of people actually believe it or not that believe that once they sign up for coaching, their job is done and it just doesn't work that way. I want people that are going to be accountable to the process. I want people that are going to take ownership. So we start with an intake form and a Zoom call and that way we can get on the same page. From there, I design the first program. I get a gauge on nutrition and we start the process and then I follow along. And so I'll be looking Clients can submit exercise videos if they do have technique questions. I'll often ask them to submit videos so I can gauge effort. So a lot of times people will they'll end a set and the, the bar's still moving fast and they still look like they have more in the tank. And I'll actually say, hey, you need to add another 30 pounds next week. You know, and, and you know, 30 pounds. And I said, yep, 30 pounds. And the next week they're like, oh, you were right. I did have it. It was just way harder. So we do a lot of things like that. It's, it's also there for accountability. So I can see if someone misses a day or two, I can check in with them and say, hey, what's going on? Are you okay? You know, why, why haven't you been to the gym? And then follow along with food. It's just nice because I have everything at my fingertips. I can see their body weights that they're recording so I can adjust their nutrition if I need to. I can see the weights they're using in the gym. So sometimes I may just message them and say, hey, you know, let's pull out let's take out the last two exercises and reduce your number of sets. You know, you're looking like you're a little fatigued from the past workout. Let's peel back this next one. And so we can just adjust it as we go. And that's just going to be the most optimal way of training. And clients like it because they have the independence of going to the gym when they want and not having to be, you know, meet a trainer at a certain time, but also they have guidance and, and someone that's willing to, that understands the process and can zoom out and I can look big picture. A lot of people only see today. I can look big picture. And that's a big one with a lot of people who are chronic under eaters. Uh, sometimes we have to spend time actually increasing calories to boost metabolism before we can adequately lose body fat. And so a lot of people freak out at that concept. And I'm there to kind of guide them through and say, hey, it's going to be okay. Or we need to push calories up here. And I know you're going to feel this way because I've been there and I've done it before. It's important to have an empathetic coach that's experienced these things personally and with other clients because then I can share with them real results of like, hey, this person was just like you. They had the same attitude as you. They didn't want to do this either. And look where they are now. So you train people of, or you take clients that are all different shapes and sizes. You're all not just, shapes and sizes, so you, even somebody has 150 pounds to lose. They can still potentially work with you. Yes, absolutely. Um, I don't discriminate in terms of I don't only take fit people. I don't only take athletes. The only thing that, again, I tend to not take people who are pure beginners in the gym that don't understand proper form on a leg press or on a dumbbell chest press. Those people tend to need someone in person to show them exercises. It's just I can send a video you know, of the exercise, but beginners often don't have good coordination with their bodies. And, and I, I don't feel right about it because if I can't see that said, I'm, I'm just worried they're going to hurt themselves. So, if, you know, I, I tend to not take people that don't have at least a little bit of gym experience. Do you have somebody that you look to for mentorship in this space? Oh man, I've had a lot of mentors over the past. So my first big mentor was an NFL strength and conditioning coach, and he taught me a ton. And then my first boss at the collegiate level was as an NCAA strength and conditioning coach. He taught me a ton. And then I got to work. I had the opportunity to travel with the late Charles Poliquin. He's the most medaled strength coach in Olympic history. So he's coached athletes in all sports to Olympic medals. And I got to travel the world and teach with him. I taught in Australia and London and Canada, kind of all over the world with him. And he was a tremendous mentor. I find mentors everywhere you look, right? Like I can turn and even at the Silverback Summit, it was interesting. I was presenting at the summit 
But like there were people in the crowd that I got to connect with and talk to that I learned something from. I'm not so big on my own ego. Like I feel like I can learn something from anybody and I'm always asking questions and trying to like pick up one little bit of knowledge. It's like I'm always on the quest for the holy grail of, of training and nutrition and hormones. And I think that's what keeps me fresh. And honestly, I think that's what keeps me relevant in the industry is like, I'll talk to anyone. I don't have an ego about it. Like I'll learn from anyone. There's some people that have only been in this industry for one or two years and I'll talk to them and I'll have a really cool way of doing something. I was like, I'm going to steal that. That's brilliant. You know? Well, it's sort of like medicine with the doctors. You always have to be learning. It's constantly evolving and you can always be learning from somebody. What about any books or podcasts or are there any of your, any go-tos for you? Oh man, books. Gosh. Are you reading anything now? There's so many. You know what? I'm going back through. So I'm on a kind of a cycle right now where I'm going back through ones that I've read years ago. So I'm working through Science and Practice of Strength Training, which is Vladimir Zatsiorsky and Vladimir Ishirin. That one's provided some really good knowledge bombs. I'm going back through John Berardi's Precision Nutrition program. That's a good one to go back through. I'm always reading Christian Thibodeau's stuff. He's got some tremendous stuff. I'm always, gosh, those are probably at the top right now. And then, of course, shameless plug, Allie Gilbert's <laughs> podcast, you know. <laughs> yeah. So for those of you that don't know, uh, Ryan works alongside of Allie. Uh, she hosted the Silverback Summit. I've talked about that on a few podcasts with other people that have been there, Dr. Twyman, uh, Dr. Jordan Grant. Allie's been on the show. Two Victory team members went there. And actually, Allie messaged me the other day and asked if next year I wanted to be on the panel because she's going to have a women's panel in men's health so that women can give their perspective of mainly working with men and why we find it important to that we want our men strong. So, well, where can people find you? Can you give your Instagram? And if you have a website, anything like that? Yeah, the best place is going to be Instagram. It's at Ryan Fanley, F-A-E-H-N-L-E. Spelled kind of weird, but that's where I do really... I mean, most of my business is funny. I've been meaning to get a website for about 10 years now, but all my stuff's just been word of mouth. Like people contact me. And so I kind of haven't really needed a website to this point. But um, as far as reaching me, Instagram is going to be the best place. That's where I post content and interact with people. And you'll be lucky and you'll get some pictures and videos of my kids doing silly shit too. So (laughs) (laughs) perfect. Well, I'll attach that in the show notes. So he's easy to find. So Ryan, I appreciate your time today. Thank you so much. Thank you so much for having me. It's been a pleasure. 